The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. To another edition of into the net fc the soccer talk discussion segment of the bear of texas podcast as usual i am the host the bear of texas and my guest today the one and only fiercely opinionated josh mcswain who also happens to be the co-host of the fabulous guys gavin gridiron podcast mr josh mcswain welcome back sir thanks for having me on it's been too long since i've been on this show it has, but you know what? The fact that Manchester United's dreadful season is over, I feel that this is the perfect time to have you back on because I know that you have something to say. Something? I got many things to say about this. Exactly. I mean, everybody knows you. People who've listened to you on the show, oh, I'm pretty sure they were going to ask. So I think it's time to have Mr. McSwain back. Like, oh, believe me, it's in the works. I know that it's time to have him back because to say that you've got something to say is an understatement, and believe me, folks, let me give you a warning, because Mr. McSwain might offend some of you, but you know what? The truth hurts. Well, I don't want to build up my bad boy image like that. I don't try to make inflammatory statements for no reason. I just tell it like it is, like you do. We're men of of conviction. That's a great way of putting it. But anyways, I'm going to start with one statement about Man United this season that is somewhat shameful, and that was, by the end, we had a lot of starters who should have been backups. Would you agree with that? Oh, oh, big time. (laughs) I'm I'm telling you, the way you describe the situation, Josh, you simply tell it like it is, and the way we do things, I'm telling you, Manchester United fans get mad at us, but at the same time, I would ask them, what do you want me to say? Do you really want me to bullshit you like this? Look, you might not agree with me. I might not agree with you, but at the end of the day, I'm going to do my job to the best of my ability. And if I'm going to take my job as seriously as I do as a man of conviction, I'm not going to spew out bullshit. Let me remind you, folks, there's a lot of ways to describe Mr. Josh McSwain and myself. We are not fake news. That's one way of describing us good. Well put. However, I have to ask, did you see the headline from, I think it was BBC Sport the other day? It's like, Manchester United are rubbish. 
I did actually see the headline, and and from what I understand, the BBC, I think they went, I don't know if they retracted it, but I know the, I think an apology was was made about it. I just found the whole thing hilarious. Sad I mean, but true as well. I mean, it, it's true. I mean, it's, you see, that that's what I'm talking about. The limit, the problem of being limited when you work for those conglomerates, you can't tell it like it is, even if it means going the extreme way. Right. I mean, I would I would have used a tie like that because at least at least it's, a, it's an attention getter. Sometimes you got to take that approach. Fair enough. Yeah. But I remember last time when I was on this show, it was right after CR7 had come back to the club. And it was a reason to be excited. But I also had some trepidation because I was saying this club is still very imbalanced. They spent a bunch of money on their forwards and on the front, but they neglected the back end. And, well, we saw the consequences of it all year. Oh, big time. I mean, we're still suffering the consequences, the fact that we spent all that money on a certain Harry Maguire. And the fact that Manchester City didn't spend as much on Erling Holland. I mean, does that add more salt to the freaking wound? Definitely does. Oh, my God. But as far as Manchester United goes, you know, from this moment forward, you know, they've been in rebuild mode for five years, but they've gotten absolutely, well, I can't say they've gotten nowhere. They've just gone nowhere forward. They've only just gotten stuck or just gotten backwards. I mean, despite all the money spent. I mean, we can gloat about how Manchester City spends all that money. They can't win the title. That's that. But you know what? At least they, at least they actually make an impact. At least a positive one in some case. I have to give them that, even though they 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 unable to win the big one. But here's the deal: they won something. Manchester United didn't win anything, and they haven't won anything in five years. That's true. I mean, City's only won four out of the past five Premier League titles. So, you know, say what you will about that. But anyways, I think. Yeah, I know. It, it, the, emotion, the, the emotions are just overwhelming, aren't they, sir? Yeah, they can be at times. Disappointment really gets to you. But anyways, <laughs> so I know you were wanting to talk about where we go from here, and my thought is we can't look to get back to contention in one year. This is no. not going to be a quick fix. Like I know that after LVG went out... We brought in Mourinho, and he is kind of that quick-fix sort of guy. Yeah, he did win us a Europa League title and all that, but of course he completely gutted the academy. And then after his act ran out after a couple years, like it always does, he was kicked to the curb. We brought in Ole, and he, he was fine at first. And then, of course, his lack of tactics... Reared its ugly head. It led to his sacking this year. Rangnick came in. I thought there was an initial surge right after he came in. But then things just soured really quickly. And I was listening to guys like Steve Nickel from ESPN FC, who in March were saying, the Man United players don't care. And I mean, based on what I was seeing, I have to agree with them. I mean, it just seemed obvious. like a bunch of guys that were from different managers that were just sort of thrown together and in a system that they didn't really seem to know what they were doing. 
You know, I, mean, I think something. about the fact did they did they not know what they were doing, or they, they were they in a situation like, like they did not want to know what needed to be done? I mean, like you said, they did not care. I don't know. It might be some of both, but think about it this way: Mourinho was responsible for buying Diego Dallo, and a, and then I think a year later they bought Aaron Juan Bissaka for like fifty million pounds because oh, they really wanted him, and then now it just became an incredibly mishmashed situation and so yeah we got to start completely anew and you know let eric ten Hag build up his team here would be my trajectory if i were him at this point year number one we're not particularly concerned where we finish in the table we're just like let's just get a foundation in place I assume he's going to sign five or six new guys, and it's just like, let's get these dudes playing together. Year number two, we're going to finish in the top four. We're going to bring in some more guys in the summer of 23, and then they'll start to come together. And then in the 23-24, wait, hold on a minute. In the 24-25 season, that would be year three under Ten Hag, this is when we start to push Liverpool and Man City a little bit. And then uh, finally, hopefully. in year four, that's <laughs> when we could reasonably expect to win. If all goes right, that's my long-term plan if I'm Ten Hag. That's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking. That's definitely a good plan. You know, although people have noticed that you seem more affected by it than Man U because I think everybody knows I've never been the diehard Man U fan. I've always been just a fan of the game, but I've just Man U has always been the kind of team I liked as a kid. But still, as a, as a fan of the game and seeing just how terrible they are, I mean, of course, when you love the game, I mean, how bad they are, it's an insult to the game. So the affections might be different from us, but at the same time, the affections are there. So I did have to get that out of the way. But the play you just lay out, it really seems it's realistic. Because, yeah, we're not, they're not going to be good just like that. I mean, I'd be surprised. I mean... If they do somehow win the Europa League next year, and speaking of the Europa League, they're actually very, very lucky to be competing in it. Because if you want my honest opinion, Josh, they don't deserve to be competing in anything right now. But if they do somehow yeah. miraculously win it, that's definitely a boost. But then, uh, then the plan would be is we got to build on it. We can't dwell on this. We got to basically move on. Okay, we want it. Now let's stop talking about it. Let's move on to the next thing. It's kind of like that. Because when, when teams get stuck on a title win, it bites them right in the ass. Maybe not right away, but sooner or later, it's going to happen. And it might blindside you because it's, it's going to come out of nowhere. That's how it goes. That's true. I mean, even if West Ham had beaten Brighton on the last day, we would have been in the Europa Conference League, a new competition they made up this season. And it would have been like, okay, so that just happened. So, I mean, we would have been in something regardless because we were going to finish ahead of Wolves. But I see your point. As such, you know, we're going into the Europa League. If we win, that's probably our best chance of getting to the Champions League in the following season. But anyways, I've kind of broken down my thoughts of all of the guys that we've had this year, and then I've kind of put out the signings that I would do. So would you like for me to get into that? Please do, my friend. The floor is yours, sir. All right. So we'll start with my appraisals of this season. Starting up top with the forwards, CR7, he did all he 
really could have been expected to do. He was our only consistent source of goals. He brought really good finishing, which we've lacked for a very long time. I know some people complained about he's too slow. He's slowing down all the other guys, yada, yada, yada. And he's 37. And I was like, he's 37, for God's sake. He's, he's not that 24-year-old we, we remember seeing when we were younger. The man's oh, 37 years old. He, he can't be the player that he once was before, but you can't hold that against him. But he has proved that age is just a number. I mean, maybe if there was a better system, things probably would have gotten better. I mean, I don't know. But, well, I don't know. If, you actually, if you'd gone into a different system, it might have been worse. But I feel like him playing as a lone striker is the best he can do. Because you, you, know, you put him further up the pitch, it kind of mitigates you know, him losing half a step. So I understand the complaints behind it, but it's like you're not going to find that type of goal production elsewhere. And he bailed us out of so many games. It's like, can't ask for anything more out of the guy. Meanwhile, the rest of forwards were largely disappointing. I mean, Rashford, I'll give him a mulligan because he was hurt. Jaden Sancho made very little impact in his first year here. Injuries were a factor once again, obviously. You have Anthony Alanga, who really seemed to be a favorite of Rangnick, but he seemed like he just wasn't quite ready. I mean, he gave it 100% all the time, and I admired him for that but it just seemed like he wasn't quite ready to be up there yet. Bruno, last month and a half of the season, it looked like he had checked out. Basically, and, I mean, like, he's he, he's basically like, ah, screw it. What's the point? Yeah. Maybe he was exhausted, too, because, he I mean, he started practically every game and didn't get hardly any rest. The one thing I could never for the life of me understand was that one game where he and Pogba were used as, like, co-strikers, basically. I'm just like, talk about getting the least out of both of them. Neither are supposed to be like that. That was just one of Rangnick's weird ideas. And then eventually, he kind of scrapped his own system and went back to the 4-2-3-1 that we'd been running for years. And it just didn't seem to work. But anyways, moving on. You have Scott McTominay and Fred in the midfield. Again, they're guys that don't really make a lot of an impact. I feel like McTominay, I feel like his time is up. I feel like might as well just sell him. Fred is all right. I'd be fine keeping him as a backup, but clearly together they're not enough. And then, of course, our back line was just poor. If you were to combine Aaron Juan Bissaka and Diego Dallo, you could probably get a pretty good player out of that. Because Aaron Juan Bissaka's best attributes are tackling and one-on-one -on -one defending, but on offense, he gives you very little. Diego Dallo is the opposite. He's great pressing forward, and he's got a pretty good shot, but on his own end, he's lacking. So, you know, that's just a bad situation there then our center backs oh boy Rafael Varane was brought in and he was not very good of course he was also hurt a lot but he struggled to adjust to the Premier League and the speed and skill of this league it's fairly obvious Maguire I don't know what to say about Maguire to be honest I mean he was really good at Leicester he's been really good for England on the national team 
I don't know if he's just become so lost among all the shuffle that he just doesn't know what he's doing, but he clearly has weaknesses just with lack of pace. And yeah, there were definitely games where it just seemed like he was just out there and not really totally there. Like he was mentally somewhere else. But that said, whenever there was a bomb threat called into his house or something like that, don't do that. I don't care how good or bad a guy is on the pitch. You don't threaten the dude's family over it. That was just shameful. But anyways, it leads to my opinion that Victor Lindelof was our best center back this past year, which is not saying much. I've defended Lindy for a long time against a lot of people. I think overall he's pretty solid. He does lack a little bit of pace, and there were a couple of times where he made a couple of dumb errors. Like there was one game, can't remember for which one it was, but like a goal went through his legs and then it beat De Gea. And then you saw against Palace where Zaha had beaten Dallow and then he basically put a move on Lindelof and then scored. So those things are going to happen. But overall, you still felt somewhat at peace with Lindelof <clears throat> back there, or at least I did. Other people might disagree with me, but I don't necessarily want to get rid of him. I just don't want him starting anymore. Meanwhile, we get to left back, which was another nightmare. I mean, Luke Shaw seems to be back in his old ways of being hurt all the time and being inconsistent when he can play. Alex Telles got a lot of action, and he's not the answer, considering he's pushing 30 at this point and just looks unspectacular at best. And then you have DDG, who still is good of a shot stopper as anybody in the world, but his lack of passing ability gets exposed nearly every game. And I think it forces him to make some highlight real saves that he shouldn't have to make if he could play the ball better. He's not going to be re-signed by Ten Hag. I'm sure he'll be the number one keeper this coming year, but... There's got to be a lot of long-term thinking going on with that. Dean Henderson probably would be a better fit for Ten Hag's system, but it looks like he's going to be moving to Newcastle this coming year. So I've tried to think of how I would build this team. My thought is I just want to overhaul the entire back line in one summer and then get a couple of mids. And we can worry about the forwards and goalie later. So, <clears throat> as far as guys I would look at that we could bring in this summer, some of these guys have been talked about already. Urian Timber from Ajax, who's a center back. He can play right back. But I'm just like, let's keep him at center where he's best at. There's no reason to sign a guy and then not play him at his best position. So, you bring in him and then Pau Torres. <clears throat> With Torres from Villarreal, he has been also linked with Man City and Tottenham. But there's pros and cons to all three of these destinations for him. With Man City, he might be on the most successful team in the short term, but he might not play as much either. With Tottenham, he'll play in the Champions League, but you don't know if Spurs are ever going to really seriously compete for the Premier League title. With Man United, obviously, <clears throat> you've got a little bit of a short term. You're going to have to ride it out. But then 
if all goes according to plan, you'll be able to compete for the Premier League eventually, and he'll get a lot of playing time here. So that's why I think we could be a really good fit for him. And then right back and left back, there's some different options. If Juan Basaka gets sold, we're going to need a new guy. We've been linked with Max Ahrens from Norwich. Bring him in. It wouldn't be too expensive. And considering Norwich is getting relegated again, probably have to sell him. We also have Brandon Williams, who was on loan at Norwich. He might either get brought back or sold. But in case Williams doesn't come back to United next year, doesn't factor into the plan, there's been a lot about Borna Sosa, the left back from Stuttgart. Ten Hag apparently really likes him. We'll see if it happens. I would say if we didn't address left wing this or left back this summer, I wouldn't be too upset about it. But it's just my whole thought of build from the back forward. That's what I want to do. This is all just my opinion. Remember, it's not a guarantee that Ten Hag will agree with me. Meanwhile, you look at the defensive midfield. I've been on the Declan Rice train for a long time. I've now kind of gotten off of it because I think West Ham wants entirely too much for him. They were saying 120 million pounds, and I'm just like, no, not for that. We we can't make the mis- they can't make the same mistake with that they did with Harry Maguire. Well, just because they're English players doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to disappoint. It's that's not but, that. It's just they they spent too much money on McGuire and on Cotterjan. I mean that goes for any defender. They have to be careful. Right. I mean I think Rice will still be quality, but we still we'd have to bring it down before really making a serious offer. I mean I wouldn't go any higher than seventy five personally. That's probably going to be about the rate that Rulian to Choamini goes to Real Madrid for. I mean, I think Chouamini and Rice were probably about the same. But then it comes down to, you know, not overpaying and keeping the team in mind first. But anyway, Speaking of Chouamini, I'm definitely excited for him to go to Real Madrid. I mean, he's taking the opportunity that Mbappe couldn't take. Right. You have him and Camavinga in the midfield. That's oh. going to dominate for a decade. Oh, and, I, and as a French-American guy, you know, I can I cannot tell you how excited I am. I mean, it, it, speaking of Camavinga, I just can't believe the national team is still not calling him up. But, I mean, I get it. The recent call-ups is, is for the Europa League games. But I'm telling you right now, if he is not part of the French squad for the World Cup, shame on the Federation for that. Camavinga is the future, Okay. And the fact that he yeah, here is, he's going to be playing with uh, Aurelien Chouameni. I mean, I'm telling you, dude, those two guys are, are young. I mean, I'm telling you, these guys are, are going to dominate the French midfield in the future. Right. I mean, you got to, I mean, I don't like comparing French players to Zidane, but I really feel like Kamavinga is probably the closest thing we have of Zidane now. Maybe. But anyways, yeah. you want to look for more realistic options uh, in the midfield. I mean, rumor has it we've already put in an offer to Lazio for Sergei Milankovic-Savic. He's 27 years old. That's a little bit more than I would have liked, just because he'll be 30 by the time we're going to be realistically competing, and I just don't know if he will have lost a step by that point. Then, of course, 
I mean, there's rumors about everybody coming to United, so take it all with a grain of salt. So, <laughs> I mean, I that mean, includes Angelo Conte, Ruben for Neves. God's sake. <laughs> well, actually, I could see the utility behind Conte. Okay, but hit the Manchester United. <laughs> but think about it. If Chelsea is facing bans on transfers because of their ownership debacle, not going to get into that. Oh, yeah, we don't need uh, to. So if they have to sell him off, you know, maybe we bring him in cheaper and he kind of helps develop these younger guys like James Garner. And then, you know, he might step off to the side in a couple of years. That may not be so bad. But anyways, there's yeah. also been a lot about Frankie De Jong, former IX guy who's now at Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Allegedly, Barca wants $70 million for him. And I'm just like, okay, that's a little bit too much probably have to talk that down but i also anticipate donny van de Beek coming back on loan from everton it's been confirmed he's he is coming back he and marcial are both coming back okay that's good but anyways you have if van de Beek plays next to milankovic savage hypothetically of course that i think i'd be fine with and you know we keep bruno involved and then well so that would be it could be five new starters, you know, on the defensive midfield in the back line. That's just what I would do. And then I would be looking for a striker in summer of 2023 because my thought is Ronaldo's probably going to stick around and no premium striker is going to want to sit behind CR7 for a year. So I know Darwin Nunes has been talked about a lot. He's a young guy. Right now, he does one thing really well, but it's scoring goals. It's kind of the name of the game. But he's kind of limited elsewhere in terms of passing and everything. And I'm just like, I get that Ten Hag might be able to coach him up. But, I mean, just I don't think he's going to sit behind CR7 for a year. So I would just kind of pass on him because these really – he just gives me these Romelu Lukaku vibes of guys that are <laughs> physically strong. You know, they they seem like they have tons of potential, but they just never quite live up to it. That's just mm-hmm. what I see when I see him. And I'm just like, I just would rather avoid that and go for something else. We might be bringing in another right wing. There's been a lot of speculation about Anthony from Ajax. If you do that, whatever, just don't break the bank for him. The only guy who gives me a little bit of pause would be Christopher Nkunku from Leipzig. That guy lights it up, and I think he could be a little bit more versatile. Another French guy. <laughs> yes, indeed. But I mean, look at that. All, I, these, in, all these riches. I mean, Fran- France's future just gets brighter and brighter. Yes, it does. But yeah, that. So I wouldn't spend a lot on the front line now, particularly with Martial coming back, like you mentioned. Let's give Rashford a chance to be healthy and and come back. Well, but yeah, and, so and speaking thought, of, yeah, Rashford, yeah, definitely because you know Rashford you know, is young, and I'm not sure who else is out there still that you know because all, of all the players, but it's the, the situation is so tough. But you know, as far as signings this summer. You know, again, you know, I've said it. I'm du- I'm not expecting any miracles. Like whatever happens, happens. So, uh, and I'll believe it when I see it. But, but if I'm Manchester United, you know, you you want to develop all the players that you've already spent money on that that are just coming off a bad year, like Jane Sancho. So, I'd probably 
I don't I don't know if I would focus too much on the transfers this summer. I mean, if there's an opportunity, then fine, but but they got to build on the players they have right now. Right. Ten Hag definitely has to take some time to evaluate these guys who've had a lot of money spent on them and figure out where they fit in his system. I wonder if 4-2-3-1 is going to be our primary formation next year just because it's what we've been programmed to play. But then long-term, he might switch us to a more dynamic 4-3-3. Probably, but... Uh, again, the the whole situation. It's uh, you, you, we we just don't know what's going on. Like we don't. We I mean, I'm not expecting anything because I know, like I said, whatever happens happens. Right. My only concern with it is, you know, let's say that we bring in a more defensive focused mid like Milankovic, Savic, Dejong somehow arrives. Vandebeek is back. What do you do with Bruno at that point? I don't really want to play him out on the wing, especially if left wing is the best place for Jaden Sancho. I mean, I know that Man City has great depth. I mean, guys like Rayad Mares aren't starting every game over there. But also, you just got to be careful with guys getting upset that they're not playing as much as they want. So, I mean, again, Ten Hag could have a very clearly defined plan with all this and hopefully he does so yeah i just hope that you know he's smart and strategic about signings and doesn't just bring in a bunch of guys that do the same thing because i felt like under Mourinho and ole they brought in a lot of guys who were built to play the same position and then they just never got into a, a rhythm and just never worked out Never worked out. And then, of course, we got a lot of young guys. Our under-17s won the FA Cup. At least so, that's, a little, that's a little bit of pride. Yeah, so there's that. So we can't neglect those guys coming up forever either. Like we saw Hannibal Medjury get the start against Crystal Palace. And then Alejandro Garanacho. So, I mean, I know they may not be regulars on the first team for another four or so years. But, you know, we got to be thinking, all right, let's see which of these guys are going to be premier performers and maybe don't be buying guys that are, you know, 22 and going to be stars if you like these guys that are already in your academy. No doubt. But the, right, fi- so... the future is anything but bright, though. I don't know if I should say the future is not bright, but I can definitely tell you that the future is blank. Well, I mean, the immediate future is not necessarily the most optimistic, but we get three years down the road, I anticipate things will be significantly better. I mean, I, for Manchester United's case, I hope so. That's all I can right. say. And then with goalie, like I said, I think DDG will be the starter next year, but then we got to look other places i know robert sanchez from brighton has been mentioned as a guy that could be a long-term target for us maybe works out maybe it doesn't we i mean we should have our pick of the litter from all those guys out there i was just kind of wondering if if we sold the hay and now 
you know, there might be a team out there that he could compete for domestic championships on and be in the Champions League with maybe a place like Juventus. It was just a thought. Of course, like, maybe he maybe he wants to stay here, for all I know. If you want to mention Juventus, that's where Paul Pogba's apparently might be headed. Yeah, that certainly seems likely. Yeah, but I think Manchester United, they've, 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 they've wasted Pogba's time enough. Honestly. Oh, yeah, they Pogba certainly need, have. Pogba needs to get the hell out of there because I still refuse to accept the fact that Manchester United did not, in fact, mess Pogba up. Pogba had his, had his share of mistakes. But I feel like Manchester United could never build a system that fit his style. They certainly could not. The irony is, I feel like in Ten Hag's 4-3-3, he actually might fit. Because he's not playing, you know, back with a holding midfield kind like he was under Ole for all that time. Because I think just by the end, Pogba was kind of zoned out. He was probably frustrated. I mean, what happened to him is probably just emblematic of what's happening to everybody at the club. I don't know that Pogba was ever a true number 10, though the few games he actually played in that position, he seemed to do well. Whatever the case, the it's, it's time for him to go. I and, would and, agree. And I, and I support him, and, and I'm on his side for if, if he wants out. So from what I understand, Juventus is in the mix. I wouldn't be surprised if PSG was in the mix, too. If I were him, PSG, I mean, him playing in his home, in his home, in his home, uh, in his native France might do him good. But if he goes to Ju- Juventus, you know, he's definitely going to be in an environment that he's supposedly familiar with. But I'm pretty sure there's been some, e- some evolving. But, you know, anywhere that he can resurrect his career, I'm, I'm with it. Certainly. But now, Real Madrid, uh, he was linked with a move to Real Madrid, but I, I think we can we can certainly declare that that case closed because Madrid kind of has their midfield thing uh, right now with with, with uh, Chuamani. I mean, they kind of went with that with that youngster, so I think they kind of solidified that already. Well, Chuamani and Pogba aren't necessarily the same type of midfielder, exactly. But I just think that you know. If where is Pogba? Where would he fit at Real Madrid? I mean, would he be a regular starter or not? And I just probably I not, doubt no. he would be, and I don't know why he'd want to go to that. I'd imagine that moving forward, Real Madrid would have started to utilize the younger guys like Tony Cruz. I'm not sure as far as his future goes, but uh, Luka Modric is still playing is still playing great. But you know, now that you know he's in his mid 30s, you know, I think he's I don't know if he's 36 yet, but he's definitely you know pushing that age. So. So you know, you bring in you you got Kamavinga, Chuamani, both learning on, on, under Modric. I mean, that that's a career boost right there. You got the you got the future learning from the legend of today, which which would be Luka Modric. Certainly. Of course, you, you you're being coached by the goat of Italian soccer himself, Mr. Carlo Ancelotti. So I mean, real, I mean, I'm telling you. Real Madrid is a place to go, and and I really and I've already kind of spoken about Mbappe on my own with my previous guest, but Mbappe did what Mbappe felt he had to do. I mean, if he picks money over winning, then fine, that's his problem. I should admit, okay, I'm happy for him if he's happy because I, I'm still a fan of Mbappe. But at the end of the day, I mean, whatever verdict I deliver, it's 
it's really not going to be much because at the end of the day, it's merely my opinion, right? Right. <laughs> but you know, I will say one thing about Mbappe. You know, I did say like because you know, I'm I'm actually surprised it was only a three year deal because I thought that he changes his mind. I thought he was going to sign like a ten year deal. But he signs a three-year deal, and by the time that deal is done, he's probably 26, 27 years old. We can definitely, I mean, Real Madrid, they might say that they'll never go after him again, but but if he, if by then he's an even better player, if he's if he's like one, if somehow he's got the World Cup, he won the World Cup again, then that'll probably tell a different story. But if you want to talk about a prediction, I bet you three years from now, Arsenal is actually gonna is actually gonna push the hardest to get him because remember, Arsenal tried to get him back in 2017. Arsenal would love to make up for that mistake. Well, I wouldn't say that mistake. They would love to make up for that failure. And I could probably see him at Arsenal. Right. I, could, I could probably see Mbappe at Arsenal. I could. I would basically. I'd imagine Chelsea and Liverpool are definitely gonna join that chase. I mean, I wouldn't be. I mean. I mean, Barcelona, I'm pretty sure Barcelona would jump in, too. They would love to do what Real Madrid couldn't do in their case. True. I mean, who wouldn't be interested in him at that point? It's the better question. Well, three years from now, I mean, here, here's the problem. Supposedly in this contract, he's got control. And now I'm kind of going back on my word. I said I didn't want to talk about Mbappe, but now, you know, I, I we really do because, you know, I, I like because your perspective is going to fit in, but... If he's if he remains a goal scoring machine and if his behavior is still appropriate, then I'm sure the opportunities will flood in. But here's the problem: clubs are going to be suspicious. And I said this on I said this when I did the episode on my own. Clubs are going to be suspicious of PSG and Mbappe because they're going to know that PSG is not going to stop trying, and they're going to suspect that Mbappe might verbally agree at, at one uh, at first, but he changed his mind before. He's he's more than likely there's a good chance he might do it again. In other words, anything can happen. Correct. Yeah. But if we're, t- I mean, I was even asked, like, what about Mbappe at Manchester United? I'm like, okay, no. I, I, do, I just don't see it. I just don't see Mbappe fitting the environment of, at Manchester United. Manchester City, I mean, I wouldn't even be, be surprised if, if, if big money, if big oil money bucks, Manchester City went after Mbappe. But I would tell him, okay, you still got Graylish there. You still got... You'll have Holland there. Yeah, Holland point. there. I'm like, okay, why, why do you just want to add him? Why just because you want to spend the money? No, get rid of you. You, you, if you want Mbappe there, you have to, you have to sell Holland and Graylish. Not one or one, not one of them. You have to get rid of them both. If you want Mbappe there, he needs to be there full time. Like, it, it's no point of putting him on the bench. But, but of course, but then again, of course, you never count out Manchester City, right? But I would tell, I would probably tell Mbappe, hey, uh, you're making the same, you're doing the same thing. Of going, you're going to the PSG of, of the EPL, the big oil money that, that they can't win the Champions League. <laughs> and, I know that, and I know that my my listeners who are Manchester City fans aren't really happy right now. But guys, look, I's sorry, it's it's been proven. Manchester City's been after the, has been chasing the title for well over five years. They just don't get it done. I mean, even at this point, if, if Manchester City was to win it next year, that reputation established that they have the money, but can't win it, it's still there. Because if you win it, while you get credit for it, people are still going to say, what took you so long? Because by now, Manchester City should probably have three titles. It should be 3-3 three three as far as Man U is concerned, but right now the score is, th- is still 3-0. to zero. It, might not be, it, not, it might not be too much bragging rights for Man U supporters, but it can't be ignored. But then again, I mean, Man, Man U is 
not a hasn't really uh, they haven't really been contending for the title recently, but Manchester City has, and Man U hasn't won anything, so there's really nothing for them to to brag about at the end of the day. True. And I actually listened to your show with Steve the other day where you talked a little bit about the Champions League. I actually wanted to do a little research, and I wondered how many Champions League or European League finals matchups have been played more than once. Turns out there are nine. And Liverpool versus Real Madrid will be the first that has been played three times. Mm -hmm. The others that have been played multiple times are Real Madrid versus Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid versus Reims, Real Madrid versus Juventus, Manchester United versus Barcelona, AC Milan versus Liverpool, AC Milan versus Ajax, AC Milan versus Benfica, and Ajax versus Juventus. Granted, a lot of those would have happened in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, but still. I love these rematches, Josh. I really do. And I spoke about this in an article too, and I and I'm sure, and I did mention this with Steve. It's the score is one to one between Real Madrid and Liverpool in the Champions League in 1981. Yep. Although back then, 1981, it was it was called the the European Championship. Uh, I, I guess they they, they were just referred to as the, the domestic European Championship because there's also the international phase. But the Liber- and in 1981, that's the last time Real Madrid lost the Champions League final. So. And four years ago, Real Madrid took the win. Of, uh, although, of course, if everybody mentions, they only won because Mo- Mohamed Salah was, you know, as everybody likes to say, deliberately taken out by Sergio Ramos. And uh, that's an, an argument I don't get too deep into because when I look at it, it happens too quick. But then you think it's Sergio Ramos. He already has that notoriety for, for you know, for, for having that brutal style. But, but, but you know, but it is true. It, it did actually shift the momentum because Re- Liverpool was all over Real Madrid until Mo Salah got hurt. But Liverpool was still technically in the game. It's just that, you know, of course, uh, how uh, that Liverpool goalkeeper made that mistake when Benzema just really made that goalkeeper look absolutely silly. But then, of course, that it was alleged that the goalkeeper suffered a concussion, which I don't deny, but I, I would feel like if he had a concussion, why was he still in the game? So, but That's we don't, we don't have to get too question. deep into that. But, but now it's 1-1, and Liverpool is... Stronger than ever. Real Madrid all of a sudden. I mean, their magical ride in the Champions League, you can't ignore it. So, And Steve, despite the fact that he's a die, he's a lifelong, diehard Liverpool fan, he's been a Liverpool for probably well over 40 years by now, he really believes that Real Madrid's the favorite. And I did mention that every pundit that I've watched, they're all in favor of Liverpool. Yeah, it is somewhat ironic that the roles seem to be reversed from last time. Because it seemed like in 2018, Real Madrid was the team that had been there and done that before because they'd won the previous two years, and Liverpool was kind of this upstart coming out of nowhere. Well, as much as you could say that Liverpool is, I don't think they'd played in a CL final in 13 years for whatever that's worth. But now it feels like this is Liverpool's third appearance in five years in the Champions League final, and then Real Madrid's this kind of a facelifted young team they got a lot of young guys they seem like more of that upstart that had to fight to get into this position i think it's going to be a 2-1 game which way i see it going is so hard to say <sighs> let me I let me ask, let me ask you then 
Is it going to be Liverpool? Is is uh, Liverpool going to be leading within ninety minutes, and then all of a sudden Real Madrid sparks another magical come from behind out of nowhere comeback? I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure that you and I would love to see that, but I really don't. I really don't want that game to go like that. I want Real Madrid to be in control. That is what I would like to see too. However, it might be a little too much to ask for that to happen. The one other note I wanted to pass along from the research I had is Bayern Munich has played in 11 different European finals against 11 different teams. So here's the list. They've played Man United, PSG, Chelsea, Borussia Dortmund, Inter Milan, Valencia, Porto, Aston Villa, St. Etienne, Leeds, and Atletico Madrid. Yeah, Bayern Munich kind of has that. I mean, it's they're they're kind of like the team they've made it a lot. They've made it numerous times, but you know they have that track record. I mean, Juventus is really that club that they've been in the finals so many times, but they they just can't win. I mean, they did win it. I think the last time they Juventus won the Champions League was probably in 1995-1996. It was definitely around that time. I mean, they've been in the final numerous times after that, but something yeah, just always ha- something right. something something just always happens to them. Yeah, they won it once in the 80s and once in the 90s. They they, they just they just can't so, I mean like I said, sub they make it to the final then something just happens and then they get they get throw they, they they just get dumped out. They just get dumped out in the final. Yeah, seemed to happen a lot. They're 2 and 7 in their 9 appearances. Yeah, that's that's brutal. That's that. That's really tough. Considering that Juventus is often considered, you know, the, the top club in Italian soccer, but I would beg to differ because I, I believe it's AC Milan is the team in Italy with the most Champions League titles. Yeah, they've won seven. Yeah, and AC Milan back in two thousand three, AC Milan and Juventus were in a Champions League final. And I remember that I was t- I was actually ten years old and. This was actually this was this was an incredible match. I mean, the two legendary Italian managers, Marcello Lippi versus Carlo Ancelotti, and Carlo Ancelotti actually beat the guy that most people would consider the goat of Italian soccer, Mr. Marcello Lippi. I mean, the game ended in a penalty shootout after a scoreless game. I mean, it was definitely a game that you were kind of bored. It was there was not no scoring, but still, you didn't want to get up. I mean, this was a an Italian club versus Italian club Champions League final. I mean, this is something you probably won't see for another, like another ten years. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I really love like you know when it's two clubs from the same country, it, it's special. But when you have something like Atletico Madrid versus Real Madrid, I mean, dude, that level of excitement just just goes through the roof. Right. And twice Real Madrid took the title. Won the title at the expense of their na- of of their uh, crosstown rivals. Correct. <laughs> you you remember the uh, the final in twenty fourteen, don't you? Uh, not really, no. Well, I mean, to refresh, it, since we're talking about a little bit of history and we're talking about research, well, I mean, I, I remember the game. Real Madrid was probably second minutes away from losing until I believe Sergio Ramos equalizes. The game goes an extra time, and that's when Real Madrid. That's when Atletico Madrid just. I'm 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 not even sure of the freaking uh, term. I would say they imploded because Real Madrid scores three goals in extra time, 
And then Diego Simeone, the, the manager of Atletico Madrid, apparently has a confrontation with a Real Madrid player, which actually turned out to be Varane, who, like, kicked, I think he kicked the ball towards Diego Simeone in celebration, but it was a while back. But Real Madrid has a rich way of winning the title. That's true. They have 13 of them. Six more than AC Milan, who's second. And Real Madrid won it three times in a row. Three times in a row. And, of course, you know, what gives me my pride is that Zidane, and, you know, everybody knows how Zidane, how important Zidane is to me. People would say, yeah, he won it three times because he had the best players in the world. Like, yeah, that's true. He did have the best. He did have numerous of the best players in the world. But you know what? He knew how to use them. He knew how to put up together a scheme where all the best players can be used in the correct way. So you cannot take anything away from Zidane from the fact that he won three in a row. It was not by luck. He put together that team. Because a lot of a lot of managers will have an endless amount of riches when it comes to talent, but they will have no idea just how to use that talent. Am I right? You are definitely right about yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, soccer is a, is a sophisticated sport, you know, being a manager in, in any sport is a, is a sophisticated matter. So closing out this part, that, that's why I know that Real Madrid, they might not, if people don't want to pick them, fine. Real Madrid, really, they could care less. I mean, how many times have they been underdogs and then they pull it off? But Real Madrid has that great resiliency. We've seen that the entire tournament. I'm telling you, against Manchester City, you cannot tell me, Josh, you cannot tell me that you were once thinking, is this really happening is this a dream? Because Manchester City, this close, this close to getting it done, and they choked. They choked. And if this was all in the past the 90-minute mark, Rodrigo put Real Madrid back into the game, and Kareem Benzema sealed the deal. But what really impresses me the most, that during this magical run, the magic started once Eduardo Camavinga was put in the game. Correct, and then it wasn't it Mendy who kept the shot from going in that oh. would have made it six three. We I, I I didn't even talk about this with Steve because I completely forgot about it. So thank you so much for reminding my. <laughs> How the hell did he do that? A I don't defender, know. But talk about never oh. quitting. That's never a perfect example. And Mendy was not even selected to the French national team. What in the actual fuck? I mean, you you got to forgive the language, but still, Mendy wasn't even selected for the team. I don't care if it's the Nations League. Okay, if if they were if, if this is just the Nations League, fine. But Mendy, Kamavinga, those guys better be on the World Cup squad. They need to be there. But then again, this is why I don't trust Didier Deschamps anymore. I'm praying for him to go so Zidane can take over the team because I still believe that Zidane is the guy that can make France stronger than ever. True, but, true. But I mean, dude, France has such an embarrassment of riches that somebody's got to have to be left out. I only, yeah, but... I only thought with France going into Qatar is just that are there players either too young or too old? Like, I mean, you got yeah. guys like Lloris who are kind of at the end of their careers, but then you got all these other younger guys. Are they going to be ready for the spotlight? Well, that's what they pay those guys to figure out. You got to you we'll have them there this. for them to learn. They're gonna, they can only learn if they're there by experience. If Kamavinga is a reserve player, fine. But at least give – like, if, if France is like – if, by some freaking luck, if France is up 5-0 to zero in the World Cup final, in the final 10 minutes, put let, 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 in the last 15 minutes, let Kamavinga play. Let him have that moment. 
But I, I'm telling enough. you, some people. I mean, some people really believe France is going to win the title. Is going to win. Is going to retain the title. I mean, I would hope so. But at the same time, I I don't want Deschamps to manage the team anymore. But to close it out, I believe that this. You know, and Steve said. Steve predicted three to two. I I'm actually gonna I'm actually gonna go two to one as well. It's gonna be a hard fought game, but I think Real Madrid is just gonna push it right at the end, and they're gonna they're just gonna blast out of it. They're gonna do what they've done the entire tournament. When y'all when you think they have given up, once they know that you feel that way, that's when that's when they're gonna they're gonna prove you wrong right in your face. Great way of putting it. So 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 you have you have two to one as well, don't you? I do. Okay, so how do you, how do you how do you see the game going then? I feel like the first half's probably going to be fairly slow. It'll probably be a lot of them trying to feel each other out, not make that crucial mistake to get down, and then after about the fiftieth minute, it's going to start opening up a little bit. Right. Who, who do you have scoring for Real Madrid? Oh, boy. That's a good one. I'll probably go with Vinicius Jr. I've never actually said who I thought would win. I, I know you've been on Real Madrid. I personally kind of lean towards Liverpool, but this is like a 49-51 proposition for me. I keep going either way, but... I just think Liverpool wants payback from a few years ago, and I think they're in good shape to get it. So I would say that Salah gets one goal for Liverpool, and then it's somebody somewhat unexpected, like maybe Andy Robertson or Trent Alexander-Arnold scores the winning goal. All right. The way the game's going to go, I mean, the way I have it, I mean, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if 90 minutes wasn't enough to sell it. I wouldn't even be surprised if 120 minutes was enough to settle it. Perhaps not. It's just that kind of game. Well, I think we got everything covered. Uh, Josh, do you have anything to say to the folks uh, where they can find you on Twitter and about your show that you, go- you got going on with Mr. AJ Torres? Sure. So... Our show is called Guys Gabbin Gridiron. We're still on our old Twitter handle, which was Texans Talk Pod, but that's where you can find all of our new episodes. They're also on Spotify, and we also tweet stuff throughout the week on that account. And my personal account is on, is at Joshua D. McSwain. Our post personal opinions on sports and other things and then i am going to get back into doing a cfl podcast called true green and gold about the edmonton elks the uh, twitter account is tgag pod and i'll have youtube with all of my recordings with that and i'll be tweeting those out from the latter twitter account and my last words, holla Madrid. <laughs> well, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. And just remember that Into the Net FC is available to you on all streaming platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, 
and YouTube. Josh, thank you so much for coming back on, and I cannot wait to have you back on. Thanks for having me on again. I'll talk to you later. All right, thank you, everybody. And don't forget, keep supporting each other and keep supporting your fellow podcasters. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.